things, um, like different time zones and different people. Because I think I've suggested like 10 a.m. to some people and they were just like, yeah, there's no way I'm getting up before 12. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you know, like, I, I, I used to be able to sleep till 12. Now, like, I have to like have stayed up literally probably till like 3 a.m. to get enough sleep to go to 12. But like my body just is like, we're old now we wake up early no matter how much sleep you've got (laughs) you get up and you know when your body's like okay well we're just going to be tired all the time uh, that's what we do these days hello more casual welcome to the podcast Thank you for having me. It's very good to have you. I think you're the first guest I've had without a video. Without video? Yeah. Oh, you guys get to enjoy my uh, Dick Tracy profile picture. <laughs> what I will do is I will also hit you up for some thumbnails and we can intersperse some changes so people can see yeah. our work as, as we go along. But you're out. So, I mean, we just established, I, I already messed up today as well because I, in my head, I, I think it got to about 2 p.m. because I'm in the U.K., and uh, my brain was like, oh, damn, I'm going to be recording. It's like 2 p.m. is like 9 a.m. And, and then I realized now it's like New York is like 10 a.m. is 2 p.m. And not yeah. where you are on the on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> so you're out in Los Angeles. Yep, straight out of Los Angeles. Uh, so what time is it there for you right now? So it's almost 6 p.m. Jeez. <laughs> it's, it's Your whole day is gone. <laughs> I get, I fit stuff and in. Mine is just starting. I've got, I've got another good, like, I don't know, four hours before my, my you know, my brain goes, ah, oh, we should just. So, so crazy how we're rotating right now. I know. It's madness. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of used to it, though. I work with a lot of Americans in my, like, my regular job. Um, uh-huh. So it's one of those things of, I've noticed so many people in different time zones that I've gotten used to just everyone being <laughs> awake all the time. There's always someone to talk to at any one time of the day see if i had finished my coffee before you had said that you would have got the immediate sarcastic response where i hope you're used to the earth rotating you've been you've used it your whole life you well, know, I never get but... fully used to that you get nauseous when you wake up you're like oh we're still we're still yeah. moving <laughs> at least it's not like uh you know at least we're not australian where we don't need to be you know strapped to the the ground so we don't float into space definitely that's just the one rule i think the furthest away distance i managed to do for the podcast so far is japan as well and that was that was a late recording of oh figuring out time zones (laughs) yeah um we got so i'm terrible introducing people so i'm gonna let you introduce yourself who you are and what do you do where do i start well my name is uh Anthony Carranza, if in case Graham didn't introduce me. <laughs> um, I'm a cartoonist out of Los Angeles. So I specialize in retro style, retro inspired, kind of in a weird plate limbo space of that, where sometimes it looks like I'm trying to replicate it versus sometimes I'm just trying to pull inspiration from it. Mm-hmm. Just kind of depends on the day. But um I do primarily comic books. Well, I'm starting to. I have uh, several books in the works. I've been tired lately. (laughs) 
But um, yeah, uh, I've been drawing for about, let's see, we're coming up on six years. Okay. Only six years. Only six years. Only six years actually going at it. Okay. Like I've always, you know, doodled here and there. You know? I was going to say, like, if you picked it up in six years and then you hit, hit the ground running this well, that's that's super impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just basically just a super athlete and amazing and perfect. <laughs> um, no, but um, so I played a lot of sports growing up, but um, in high school, obviously, when you play sports, you need to stay eligible for sports. So art classes were an easy way to stay eligible. And it turns out I actually really enjoyed art. That's interesting. <laughs> so, um, I, when I was a freshman, I took like introduction to art because I always doodled and used to draw little stick figures. Uh, I was a weird kid. I used to draw stick fi- figure wars where there would be like bombings and like that's, trench that's wars. That's not a weird kid. I, I did that. That's a... <laughs> okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I feel like that's a standard thing at some point in your brain. You're just like, well, if I draw this stick figure and it's shooting this yeah. stick figure. And then this stick figure is also a wall with this stick figure and it just grows and, and like, grows. This stick figure is severed from the combat and yep. this is his stick figure friend who now has PTSD with it. Nobody wins in stick figure wars. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Nobody wins. <laughs> but um, So I started an introduction to art and it was very remedial, like right. learning to draw the figure, um, essentially had a shade circles very 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 basic um then sophomore year I took art two which was like a substantial leap honestly like they were like okay today we're gonna be painting i'm like wait i don't remember how to draw the figure <laughs> um and then after that i took art three which was pretty much me just drawing drawing and i kind of was picking it up and started really like it and i was like i really do enjoy this i probably should start drawing more and then senior year i was like got the uh i'm not sure if you guys use this word in the uk senioritis where you just don't feel like learning anymore <laughs> i mean we've n- i've never but, heard that term before but i can completely rate, relate to some point in your education just going you know what yeah no i'm done <laughs> yeah so i was like drawing is a lot of work and the assignments are really hard in art four because art four is basically you're at the school i went to art four is you create a piece within the parameters and then it's graded right (laughs) but so i took ceramics and i really enjoyed that and that's when i got kind of into character design of like i really liked to make little figurines and characters and i really caught on to ceramics quickly quicker than i caught on to drawing actually to where you're just making simple shapes to make mm-hmm. something a character and i always enjoyed that and then after that i just started playing baseball a lot more and then yeah. i continued to play baseball after high school until the point to where i wasn't playing baseball every day and then i was like well now i need a new hobby so i went back to drawing <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, so like, I, I mean, I've never been an athlete in the UK, you know, shockingly. Um, but um, <laughs> it, it's like scholarships and that kind of thing aren't such a, a thing within the UK. Then they're, they're not kind of like you you can get points for being in the, the the team or anything like that. It's it's usually your education and then whatever you stack on top of that. 
So it's interesting that the idea of taking an art class is kind of like a kickback class. Like, yeah. <laughs> here it's like, you, there's, you, know, you, there's you will study gonna art. A, <laughs> there's going to be some listeners that are like, this, this, uh, and uh, I know this is live, so they're going to be like, this effing a hole just completely just was doing this for for s's and gigs <laughs> i i don't know though. like I, the amount of people i had in my like so not i mean it's always weird because i always say college but college means something different to you um but i was like 17 like that age education we were in those college art classes we had a lot of people within our first year who were studying like advanced mathematics and economics and they took art because it was a relaxing thing to do compared to all their other classes I was like, yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that being the same for like sport. You know, and like that's what makes art in general just fun. It's just like usually your best work is when you're just messing around making it. We'll come back to that, but I'm curious. So yeah. you go into you go into drawing, you go into doing your work. Why, why, why vintage stuff? Why not um, new stuff? that's it's that's actually a more complicated answer than how i started drawing (laughs) um so obviously i had a let's see how do i word how to start this let's keep it simple straight timeline um born to parents who were relatively young Uh, my mother had me when she was 20 my father 21 um so my grandparents were in my life very much so, still are to this day. And um, so when your parents are young and working, your grandparents are the ones who watch you. So you grow up around a lot of old stuff. <laughs> uh, and especially with uh, cable networking, really having a renaissance during my upbringing in the early 2000s, there was Boomerang, which was a Cartoon Network sub-channel that played pretty much old Hanna-Barbera all day. Yep. And we, so we used to only get boomerang on a house. We didn't have proper cable, but we'd get boomerang. That is amazing. <laughs> that is all you need. You don't need anything else but boomerang. <laughs> so um, I grew up with a little bit of boomerang watching shows such as the Jetsons. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's see, what's another good example that I really enjoyed? I, I liked all of it, obviously. The Josie and the Pussycats, Scooby-Doo. Um, just a little bit of everything. Um, and then fortunately got to grow up with, uh, the likes of Jenny Tarkovsky, pretty much animating your entire childhood with, <laughs> with cool cartoons such as Samurai Jack. And, uh, yep. I think he did Dexter's Laboratory as well. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a hand which, in that. Cause there's like a link which, with Powerpuff Girls as well. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. So there's Powerpuff Girls as well. So all of those shows are, and then yeah, also as well as Butch Hartman with uh, Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom, which are all just super passively retro, yeah. atomic style cartoons. And so when I got into that, I, that's what I first started drawing for uh, a good part of like six months when I was really starting an art Instagram. I was doing really really poorly drawn mid-century style cartoons and um i thought that was good for a while and then i was like this kind of sucks i'm kind of challenge myself <laughs> so i always really liked johnny quest yeah 
and I wanted to learn how to draw Johnny Quest and like the Super Friends because I like the Super Friends a lot too. That's interesting, yeah. And so I figured out, hey, these guys are just drawing like comic book guys. Let's learn to draw comics. And then what I actually learned is comic books are learned are drawn by just cartoonists. And then so I'm like, well, it looks like I need to be a cartoonist if that's what I want to make. So I just learned how to draw cartoons. <laughs> I was gonna day. I was gonna ask that actually, because I noticed on your your Instagram you you reference yourself as a cartoonist, not as an illustrator or yeah. anything um, like that. I like to think that the best kind of comic book artists call themselves cartoonists because like you should have the capacity to create characters, not just illustrate them. That's not a shy to anybody who doesn't, you know, if you want to be a professional illustrator, have at it, but it's just a hot take. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just full of hot takes. I hope it'll it'll come from my head. I mean, on a, I've on also a, only had one cup of coffee, and I'm an artist from Los Angeles. That's not enough. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it depends how fragile people's egos are, I guess, in, in, in that sense. But no, I, I get what you mean, though. I think it's it's very much as much as because I always have the argument. Um, I started like three thoughts there. I'll, I'll track back. But like, I always have the argument between kind of like illustration and and fine art, and I think cartooning falls into another category as well where illustrators will be like well cartoons aren't illustration I'm like, well how how can they not be part of the same world you know yeah you know you, you're using the same skill set it's just the story you're telling is what differs and what ranges so why yeah. would you why would you even want to separate them why would you want to separate that from that so i, I found it very interesting that you kind of you you took that moniker of like i'm a cartoonist yeah i do well you know, like, there's also not a lot of cartoonists left in the comic book world. There, there are, obviously, but they're just kind of buried by the big companies in comics. <laughs> um, where, and, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't try to word this nicely. It's not bad to have the writer and illustrator combo. It works. Yeah. Stanley, Jack Kirby, Stanley, and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time it's it's nice to have creators such as like Chester Gold with Dick Tracy um, Charles Schultz with uh, the Peanuts you know yeah. so I kind of want to fall in that line more but I do enjoy working with other writers uh, I have projects working on right now that are written by other people and you know, it's it's fun it's yeah. you know it doesn't really matter you just don't be one-dimensional <laughs> yeah i think I, I mean i've never i don't think i've ever drawn a character for somebody else i've, I've drawn things for myself and ideas for myself but i don't think i've ever drawn anything for anyone else but, it's hard yeah i imagine that would be hard like because for one i'm really stubborn like <laughs> i am very strong-willed creatively to the point to where like so i'm working on a western that my he's practically my best friend we've known each other for i think we're coming up on eight years now um so i guess he he makes the category of best friends if he gets around to listening to this i hope he doesn't hear that (laughs) but um so he wrote it he created all the characters and he gave me very detailed descriptions and 
so I drew him up a concept. And so I already announced it, so I'll just say it's for Rodeo and the Devil's Guitar. If uh, there's uh, little drawings of it on my Instagram still already. It's a Western that uh, talks about a cowboy who sold his soul to the devil for a guitar. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to a town and meets a priest who is going to help him get his soul back. <laughs> That's the most basic experience, uh, explanation I could give to it. But oh, um, so yep. Yeah. So I drew Rodeo, um, who's the main character, the protagonist, and he was like, oh, I hate it. I'm like, well, are you the one drawing it? <laughs> and we, I swear, wow. we argued for like two and a half hours. So I was like, okay, I will fix that one thing, but nothing else. That's really and it was... And it was like such like a little little thing. He's like, I just don't like how angular you made his jaw. I'm like, well, in my in my perception when I read it, he has an angular jaw. It's just you know, it's funny. It's funny being a stubborn creative because we're all that way. It's 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 one of those oddities, especially when it comes to like something which is produced for like a book and not motion, where you're reading text. And then you're picturing something in your head and then someone else can read that text and just be like, yeah, I, I didn't picture them like that at all. Which I think yeah. is why, why like so many films get doomed when they remake books. Because they, you're already, you, you're doing a real specific version. You can't meet everyone's expectation. <laughs> yeah. What this guy's going to look like. <laughs> um, so uh, I know this is, I don't know if people ask you this when you're on uh, podcast so when you do your style of work do you find a lot of like flashback of people who are like well this is not really what I wanted <laughs> like yourself um yes and no I I'm quite secular in that it's very rare that I've done work which has been commissioned by people with an idea Usually it's more, I'm creating this and someone sees it and says, oh, I really, you know, I like that or I'm interested in what you're, you're doing. Can I have a copy of what you're doing? So I think, um, so I've not had the, I've not had the experience of just someone coming to me with an idea and saying, hey, here's the idea. Um, but I've, I've had a couple occasions. I think I did, I did some drawing for a company once, which now the more I think of it, it's one of those stories where I think about it and the more, the less comfortable I am about it was they they were like an IT security company and they wanted a visualization of someone watching a bunch of security cameras. That's uh which is you could have got you could have gotten like so like yeah dystopian that would be yeah I would just give like a full length illustration and they would probably not like yeah I'd have to redo it anyways and I'll be like well that sucks. I think I recall I did something fairly dark and I gave them it and they were like, oh, okay, you know, they liked that enough, but they didn't really question it. And I never, I never saw what happened to the illustration. So I assumed they never used it. And they were just like, okay, let's pay him and get him out of here. Cause it was, it was just such a weird concept of like, this is how they wanted to present themselves. It was like yeah. all knowing, all seeing yeah. <laughs> view of everything. And like, it's that's, very, that's hilarious. Yeah. Very, very big brother. <laughs> yeah. You like how I flipped that back to you, huh? Now we're interviewing you. Yeah. It's you're the one who's yelling at concrete. Exactly. We're, we're watching everywhere. <laughs> we're a little bit of everywhere now. <laughs> we, we've brought it around. I mean, I, no, I but uh, I honestly, back to what you had said about 
giving something to the client and not get it back to you. Mm. I hate doing commissions. I think that's my biggest art goal is to get to a point in my life to where I don't need to do commissions. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Do you, do you get, do you get uh, a lot of requests for reproduction? I assume. Yes. Right. Can you draw me Superman? That's always a no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only really like to do commissions if there's going to be, obviously, you know, sometimes I'll take the personal one. Like, uh, I did a commission recently where this uh, guy asked me to draw an angel in space. Okay. And that was really cool because I'm like, that's why I took it because I'm like, hmm, interesting concept. I'll do it. Even though yeah. it's a personal commission, but I don't really like to do the personal commissions. Cause I don't feel like I want to dedicate my time to drawing stuff for other people all the time. Mm-hmm. So I open it up every like six months or so, but um when i do take commissions i like to have a physical product because i like to stroke my ego and see t-shirts and cans and other stuff with my art on it no not just not because the ego just because i think it's important to have a physical product to your work i think that makes a legacy to it yeah definitely becomes part of kind of the it's weird to say we're like part of the culture overall because it's out there and it means yeah. any, anyone could pick it up. Any that that's the, the that the way. Go that on. way, when I'm dead and gone, someone can find a mug that I designed in a Goodwill <laughs> yeah. for two dollars. I've I've had this exact thought. There was um, I was having a conversation a while back because like most of my illustrations, I throw onto a T-shirt at some point because yeah, I like the idea of it, and I design things specifically T-shirts. Some things I do specifically for posters, but I, I remember someone saying it was like, "Well, that's it's not really art because you're making merchandise from it." And I was like, "Well." It is because if the concept fits the t-shirt and it works yeah. because it's on a t-shirt, then it adds to it. And I love the idea of, yeah, like someone in a charity shop 20 years from now finding a random t-shirt and be like, I have no idea who made this. And, yeah. <laughs> like, then you, but what people are, I think a lot of artists don't get is, I think this is a lot of creatives in general. Like, uh, so obviously in my world with comics, mm-hmm you are not going to make money making comics. I try to tell people that all the time. You will not make a livable <laughs> wage on comics unless you're working for DC or Marvel yeah. or Image. Uh, basically the big four, Image, Dark Horse, uh, and Dynamite. And that's literally working for them as freelance projects where you're not going to get paid every day of the year. Yep. So point being made again. It's merchandising. So for anyone that's ever seen Spaceballs, it's merchandising. <laughs> You've got to you do need a, Like for me, so my main character is obviously Sonic Saturn. Yeah. So you need... So when you come out with Sonic Saturn in the comic, you create Sonic Saturn the t-shirt, Sonic Saturn the action figure, Sonic Saturn the, uh, the lunchbox. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that That's how media properties make money is so when you create something you have to have the idea of how can you create a legacy out of this product how can i make like you know with star wars it was the kenner action figures with um gi joe was their action figure line but then again that's even a more so example to sell merchandise which makes more money you just make secondary stuff such as comics and tv shows yeah 
Well, you start with and the I don't, product first, don't you? <laughs> Work yeah. Way backwards. Yeah, that, that was the 80s. That, that was the 80s. It was like, we got toys. How do we market them? Yeah. Feature length commercials. <laughs> Feature length commercials. Like, what do they do? Nothing. They just, but everyone's going to watch them and they're all yeah. going to want to buy the toy. And I think that's the hard bridge is like when people want to say, well, I want to be a full-time artist. They mm-hmm. figure, you have to figure out how to monetize it. And and then you have to become what I like to call an entrepreneur. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to uh, monetize your work. And that's hard because for yeah. one, you have to, you know, let your ego create a price tag for you that actually is reasonable. And then you have to not only that, not sacrifice it for the fear of not getting clients because people will pay, you know, yeah. like if, and I always try to tell people, I had this conversation with another artist. So I moderate a discord. So I talk to a lot of artists a mm-hmm. lot uh, for commission questions and stuff. What if they don't like my price? So I'm like, well, then they don't value you. Yeah. But not only that, you have to be willing to understand that there's a perceived value to your price tag. So if you, if someone's saying, Hey, can you, so in this instance, I'll keep them anonymous, but I'll explain the project. They wanted a gouache painting of a, of a a subject in a, in a scene. And he charged them $20. $20. And I'm like, you have to understand. Okay. There's two things. One, what can we get for $20? <laughs> Two, they're going to think that your gouache painting is not that good because they're only paying $20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, if, if you say, okay, I'll do this for $250, they're like, okay, that's a realistic price, you know? Yeah. The, the client is going in thinking they're going to have to pay extra money yeah. unless, you know, they're crazy. And, you know, there is the, there's the outliers who just think we work for free. But <laughs> oh, there's always the people who think you work for free. I, I think yeah. that I always get shocked when someone comes with a with a price, <laughs> and they're like, and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm going to pay you, and I'm like, oh, I've gotten so used to people just approaching me and being like, can you just do this? Yeah, because you can do so, this, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the best the best question, and the one that a lot of people like, I don't know why people haven't figured this out because I learned it from I forgot where I picked this up. The best question you can ask when you're doing commissions is, what's your budget for the project? Because then you get a general idea. It's a professional way to ask, how much can I charge you? Because <laughs> then you don't lose the client. Because if, you know, not everyone can pay $250 granted. You know, like, for example, the guy who asked for a personal angel commission. He just wants a piece of art for his house. That's mm-hmm. a personal work. Or I think he gave it as a gift or something. I don't remember. Yeah. But nonetheless, I asked what his budget was. And he said, I could do best i could do is probably 120 dollars. so now i get a general idea okay he wants a single piece i'll do it for blank price yeah and you don't obviously don't want to say oh i'll do it for 120 dollars because you know you don't want to take the whole budget away either because if there's revisions being made and you can't upsell it look at me i'm giving positive advice you're you're giving stellar business (laughs) advice it's it's one of those things of which i mean mean, when you said uh, entrepreneur it made me sure to because I'm I'm a constant war with myself in terms of making things as artistic practice and concept and making things as product. 
mm-hmm. and separating that in my brain and going, okay, well, you, you can make things to sell and you can make things which are art and, and having that argument yeah. myself. But I think that like the point you, you kind of said there was like, yeah, if you're asking someone their budget, first off, you get to know what kind of price range they're in. So it allows you to think in your head, what can I do for that price? What am I mm-hmm. willing to do? How much time am I willing to spend to go on that price? But also if they explain the project to you, you might decide, you know what, it might be worth me quitting my budget for this one, you know? Yeah. Just Cause you might person. actually make something you actually like to do. Yeah. Like, so me taking that cut, I got to do an angel drawing, which, you know, I'm sad. I don't get to post it because I really like it. <laughs> I think this is one thing which I've done. So I can so I'm on Reddit and I follow the the subreddit for a cartoon called Home Movies, which mm-hmm. you, may, you may remember. Um, but it, essentially, there's a lot of film posters in the background of the cartoon because it was about yeah. a, a kid making home movie home movie films, and I found that I can reproduce those very easily and very and very quickly. And someone was like, "Oh, well, can you make me one? How much would you charge for it?" I was like, "Well, you know." I, it's not my work. It's a reproduction. It's not my idea. I'm literally just making you a yeah. from this film. So if I do the work for you, I'll charge you the cost of what I would charge if I sold this as a poster. And I just That's retain all enough. the rights and I can post yeah. it. And then you get the poster over, which is what you wanted in the first place. And I get to, you know, have a piece which yeah. is already mine. That that that's a, that's a really good way to approach it. You know, like it's a. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, I have a flat commission rate. And then when you have the flat commission rate, you really alienate a lot of people because, you know, either it's too low or it's too high because, you know, on the downside, there are people who can't pay you. So you lose out on that work. And then on the other side, you miss out on money because there are people who could pay more. So for example, if, (laughs) you know, Lucky, Lucky Graham gets a call from Marvel Comics to illustrate a comic book cover and you have a flat rate of $250 for a commission. <laughs> what? You're about to yeah. by Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you have, for example, uh, let's see, let's make a scenario. A single dad who wants a cartoon of him and his kids. Yeah in his for his living room he can't he doesn't want to pay 250 dollars either so you just alienated two different clients by having a flat rate it's just you know can't cookie cutter things you know life has variables you gotta you gotta keep it accessible as well i find with yeah. a, lot of, a lot of work like the the thing which i hate most and is probably my the biggest pet peeve of artists is when they'll bring out like a t-shirt and they'll be like yeah this is 50 dollars oh this this is 50 quid and you're like, okay. And like, oh no, we're doing how, how, how much is how much is quid in American? Okay, so if, it's, if you're paying 50, 50 quid in the US in the UK, you're paying about seventy, eighty dollars for a t-shirt. Uh like you, you know, even if we did it in dollars, if someone was charging fifty dollars for a t-shirt, and I'm sat thinking, okay, why is it so much when it's a t-shirt? Because you've already blocked out the people who like your work and can't afford to spend that on clothing, because it's clothing, it's gonna wear, it's gonna tear, no one's gonna put it in a box and merchandise hold it. So mm-hmm. you, you're blocking out so many people or they'll be like, oh, yes, limited run. And I'm like, but it's a mass produced product. And yeah. Like you're hand stitching these products. <laughs> yeah. Why and, are you uh, doing this to the public? That's the thing is like, if you want to make, there's a lot of problems with products nowadays where they have this perception that they're collectible. Mm-hmm. And so they put this high 
price margin, but that really doesn't do anything. It just alienates people. It's a, we'll go down a whole rabbit hole for that one, but we're going to get off topic. <laughs> That's what um, I want. We can go wherever we want. <laughs> <But> anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, back to just t-shirts. There was one thing I wanted to say when people were like, well, it's not, you're creating art. It's not, it's merchandise, not art, but you know, what if I drew this amazing spaceman on a black t-shirt and I use the black as the negative space? And, you know, there's a lot of variables you could do to making a t-shirt artistic. Yeah. That was just like right off the top of my head. Yeah, <laughs> I had to get that out there. It is one of those things that like, I can completely see it if you, you know, like you, like you said, if you strapped a t-shirt to a canvas and you painted onto it, and you were like, this is a one-off piece, which I've made. It just happens to be on the back of a t-shirt. Like, yeah, yeah fair enough. I can see that. That's, that's something which someone can buy, own. It'd be weird if they wore it at that point. But, you know, more power to them if they've got the money to. Um, but, yeah, when it's something like you're sending to a print company and, like, manufacturing through China somewhere and just getting it sent back, I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't. I, I recently saw, um, do you know the, the artist Damien Hurst? Yes. Yeah. So he recently brought out some prints, um, and they're just like they're just poster prints, and they're like a thousand pound a print. Jeez. And I'm like, why? (laughs) 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 And also, like the screen cap which they put up was so high resolution. I was like, I could probably copy and paste that and make an A3 version and (laughs) sell it cheaper. So my my prints are pretty pricey. I will say, but that's because I don't have a cheap way to make them at the moment. And, you know, I don't emphasize selling prints. It's it's completely optional. But even then, I think my prints are pricing. You pay like $30, $40 for a print. That's not bad for a print, though. It spikes up pretty high if you want to buy it with a frame. That's what I like to think is like you're paying. Someone's like, well, this is $60 for a frame print. I'm like, you're paying for the frame, too. So. (laughs) <laughs> that's this that's the thing which i find about when you kind of like use um in between websites mm-hmm. like it's like when they, they had like obviously they add their commission to it and then they're like oh yeah we can do framed versions in this i'm like yeah but then yeah your, your price is getting up high again and like, I'd yeah rather just sell i, I always envy i envy like robin banks for example the cartoonist robin banks because they screen print all their own stuff yeah and that's something I really want to do, but there's nowhere around me locally that I can do that. That kind of like, you know, for LA being regarded as such like an art scene, yeah, I was gonna there's say, that's not surprising. a lot of emphasis on art, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what is LA about if it's not about <laughs> I'm curious. Pretending to be an artist. <laughs> go down to San Diego. <laughs> Hang not me. even that. If you want to, most of the the art town in in California would probably be like Ventura, California, and which is nowhere anyone's heard of. It's right. about an hour. It's probably like forty five minutes to an hour past LA. Okay, and when you go there, it's just like super hipster old town Ventura. There's just like that's that's a scene. Yeah, you know, if you're an artist and you come to California, go to Ventura. Don't go to LA. <laughs> you're not, the only thing you're gonna see is pea stains. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
East Ains and Cabal. And, and, and Angel Wing <laughs> murals to take pictures for your Instagram in front of. <laughs> That's what you want. That's. I mean, it's just like kind of the same in the UK. I think, like you, you know, you get places like London, um, which are regarded as like you know, it's so culture and it's London, it's the capital, it should have everything. And then when you go there, you're like, well, there is like screen printing stuff, but it's stupidly overpriced. That that's LA. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, I want to screen print prints. Okay, that'll be five hundred dollars for an order of a hundred. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. Luckily that there is a like up north in the UK, there is quite a few which has like started up over the last few years, which have kind of come in and you can get screen prints and, and lithograph prints and all these kinds of things. But yeah, it's so heavily swayed. The 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 key is to monopolize yourself. So Make- what's the um What's the art town in the UK? <laughs> it varies so much. We're, we're quite an odd country, in my view, of you, city to city has something different. Every city has a thing which it does. And depending on where that city is, depends what kind of artwork you're going to get out of it. So like Sheffield, which is kind of center of the UK, but northern, is very music scene. So all your music okay. stuff goes on in Sheffield. Whereas you move over to like Leeds. Leeds has a big music scene, but it's also very print heavy in Leeds. And then London is a lot more digital. They've got a lot more digital art scene and they've got a lot more um, kind of installation stuff because obviously they have the space within a major city. They've got so many buildings. Um, where I am is just a black hole of creators. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's nothing Because <laughs> I'm out in the yeah. east of the UK. <laughs> I've actually recently become uh, quite good friends with the with a UK based illustrator, and they live in a very rural area. I forget the name. It's called. It, it's not. It's not even a town. It's a village. I think they said they have about a thousand people that live there, and um, so talking to them about the art scene, I, I'm like, wow. I thought I was, <laughs> you know, struggling. You know, but thanks to social media, it doesn't really matter where you are, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the benefit. I mean, we, we, I always find social media kind of gives and takes. It's like, it gives in the sense of like, like contacting you, you know, you're out in the US. I've got, yeah. I've, most of my guests this year have been not based in the UK and I've, I managed to get hold of them. But on that side, it's like, okay, so it introduces people to me and introduces people to the podcast. But them ordering work from me is so expensive. <laughs> Yeah. The likelihood of making a sale is quite slow, like low down. Yeah, and I, that's one thing when I'm I'm worried about with my comics is like, and that's why I, I you know, I'm leaning towards getting a publisher rather mm-hmm. than doing it by myself. Is just you know, I want my stuff to get out there, and the easier it is, the better for other for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna spend money printing it anyway, so giving money to a publisher isn't really that bad. Excuse yeah. me. Um, as as so, but yeah, social media is uh, it's an interesting tool if you use it correctly. A lot of people don't when, in the art scene. They emphasize the wrong things for, uh, you know, rightfully so. Uh, we seek validation through followers and likes rather than networking through comments and making friends with other artists to grow. I'm I'm definitely one of those. No, I'm not one of those people who emphasizes the wrong thing. I just don't have the the kind of the patience to learn the things I should be doing on social media. And I'm, well, it's I, actually I, really it simple. Me. <laughs> I could sum it up in one sentence of how to grow on social media. 
<laughs> and this is this is, if anyone takes a note right now, it's this one. The key to growing on social media is to be social on social media. So simple. It's right in the name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like, and don't do this. Don't do, oh, I love your art. I make art too. You should check me oh, out. Yeah, don't do that. No one likes that. No one That's likes getting that. you blocked. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> you should say, I love your art. This is really cool. Like, uh, like, and talk to that artist about, well, what, what do you do when you do that? Oh, I'm like, oh, I like that too. And then you show them one of your drawings, you know, mm-hmm. and do this via DM. You, know? you can't do this. You have an intimate conversation through DM. Where, where you're actually connecting to that person and you share art, like how you and I are talking creatively. You can do that on social media and make a real connection. And then boom, you have one real person who actually knows your work. Yeah. I, I try to put it in, uh, in the perspective always that like my social media, me posting art on it is like me setting up a table on the street and putting all my art there. Yeah. If 10,000 people follow me, Okay, but they don't engage with me. That's just 10,000 people walking past my table and just looking at it and leaving. Versus 300 people, so 300 followers, who all come and talk to you and like look at your art and actually study it. And that's, that's the more valuable way to look at your art. Yeah. And in general, the number of followers you don't have is a, uh, it's crazy how people say, well, I only have 150 followers on Instagram. I need more. But they don't think, I have 150 strangers who appreciate my art. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's that's a lot of people. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's interesting you kind of, you, you describe it in that way. Because when you were talking about it, I was thinking that usually those connections are the ones you make when you go do like an art fair or like a zine fair mm-hmm. or a publication fair something where you you're sat next to other artists for the entire day yeah. and you know you're going to chat you're going to discuss how you make work where you got stuff printed the best places to go and then when people come and engage they engage with you which yeah. makes you a person and they they not that they feel obligated but they feel polite to have a conversation yeah. with you yeah and and the thing about it is when you create that quality following yeah. of people it it grows a lot slower you know it's it's not instant but you know, we have to, you have to cast away that, that aspect of instant gratification. If you want to create lifelong art, um, that, you know, the first better first part of me on social media, my presence was a lot of emphasis on, I need the almighty 10 K follower, 10 K follower. You know, nowadays I don't even look at the follower number, you know, it it grows every day, you know, it it fluctuates. You're going to put so much emphasis, but people are uh, I see a lot of people get a problem where they're like, oh, I get followers, but they unfollow me. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, connect with people, they're not going to unfollow you because they want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know that's hard for some people. You know, I know, it, I know it's not easy, especially, you know, a, a lot of artists are very introverted. Yeah. But, you know, you got to come out of your shell a little bit, especially if you want to create a platform, you know. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, someone asked me kind of about the show and they, they said, you know, oh, how many clicks do you get? And I'm like, 
I don't really care about clicks. Yeah, I, don't, so, I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I care about you know retention, or if I get a comment and someone's like, "Oh, I really enjoyed this point you made," and I, I said that the my marketing strategy isn't you know get to 10k followers; it's to get per- people like one by one. And if that happens by me literally inviting you on the podcast to come talk about things, that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and you I will know, chip like, away at you. Who, who's like? Uh, let's see, like. Who's a popular artist? Like, okay, so I'll go back to Robin. Robin, okay, I don't even know how many followers Robin has. They have a lot. Okay, <laughs> uh, they're Salt Lake City based, you know, so they're not even like LA. They don't know. They're they're right in the smack dab in the middle of the four corner desert of the United States. Yep. They don't know how many followers they have, but they have a lot, and they know they they. The thing about Robin is they know their followers names they know the kind of art they do and like that's quality over quantity and it grows substantially you know either way you're gonna get followers regardless of what you do it's just comes from the quality of your work that's another thing too if you're not at where you're at in the quality of your work you can't expect to be on par with people but that just comes with practice that's not instant yeah Definitely. I think like this kind of comes around to what you were kind of suggesting when we were chatting over email was, you know, I think as much as those are kind of great ideas and the great, great ways to approach making work, you mentioned this idea that you kind of, you need a positivity to create yeah. work and a comfort you need, to it, I guess. You need to have a positive creative outlook. Um, Can you explain them? Frank, Frank Frazetta used to always say, you can only have one masterpiece and you'll never know which one is your masterpiece. That's for other people to decide. You just need to create work consistently that you kind of like enough to put out there. And, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you illustrators from prior to social media. So, you know, like before social media existed, like Frank Frazetta, Wally Wood, Jack Kirby, uh, Andy Warhol, they created art that they're like, this is kind of good. Let me sell this. So nowadays we're in the world where we don't have to sell it to put it out there on display. So you have to put it out there with the idea of like, this is good. I like it. I hope other people like it, but don't care if they don't because you made it for yourself. Others are just privileged to see it. Yeah. I'd I'd agree with that too. I mean, I'd say to an extent, but (laughs) yeah, no, no. See, like I, I, I I wholeheartedly know I have a very egotistical approach to my art. I, I, um, when I make something, I understand that uh, it's a privilege that people get to see it because I'm allowing people to see it. I don't have to post it if I didn't want to. That's and so, that's a way. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you look at it that way, you you you, and it's hard to be full of yourself for a second, but you have to because this is a it's a harsh world. You know, a lot of people are cynical. You know, people are not going to like you either way. There's enough people to not like your work. You know, but there's not enough people to like your work, so at least you have to like it. Yes, definitely. I, I agree with that in sense of I think, I think I said said before is like the work which I show to the world is like ten percent. Mm-hmm. So it's ten percent of what I'm actually doing because most of the time I'm you know I'm doing like I'm sure you do is like sketches, doodles, just yeah. idea, d- ideas constantly. If you pages post and pages, yeah, you draw you, every day, right? You'd be flooding, yeah. Like you, you, you draw every day, and you like, and people are like, oh, you, you create so much. I'm like, no, that's that's ten percent of what I'm doing, 
the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand. You don't have to post every day. You don't have to post every art you make, you know, a lot of it, like I have so much, I have a whole book specifically that's just experimental stuff. That's just so bad, <laughs> but it's me learning on a regular basis. And it, there need, you need to make art for yourself more than you make for others. And then your final products are just for people. Yeah. So like, for example, when I was experimenting with recreating Charlton comic covers, I have so many like, well, first of all, the first ones I started were traces. I would trace old comic covers, create some muscle memory mm-hmm. of how the they were presented and then the lettering styles. And then I would have one that are really bad with lettering and the other, the new lettering didn't fit with the old ones. So that one's scrapped. And yeah. then you get this final product that everyone's like, wow, this is so good. I'm like, yeah. Put a lot of work into that. <laughs> this wasn't just something I picked up one day. I just happened to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, my favorite question too is, how do I make that old comic like look? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think this would be a good thumbnail right here would be to put one of my mock comic covers. What a lot of people don't know is I actually make those um, from scratch. I, I take old books and I make scans of them or I take pictures of them. And then I pair it with textures that I've purchased to make these full mock-ups that I just slap the art on top of, which is an art in itself, yeah. you know, with, a, I, I think we can, we could coin it with the, with the retro world, the art of distress and decay, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which uh, it's texture, a lot of people it? don't know how to do it yeah. and they slap it on and you could tell they don't know how to do it. And I think if more people took the time to study how paper rips and tears and folds it would really elevate that retro work that they really want to do yeah definitely i think it's it is a, it's a kind of a blend of technique and and comfort when creating work i think for, yeah. for anybody it's, it's never it's never all one thing or the other like you said like <laughs> to, to you you mentioned it's kind of like ego it's like well not it's not really ego it's, it's more just like you're comfortable with sharing it you're you're comfortable with putting out into the world but you're not showing everyone everything you're doing yeah to, to a full extent you're just going well this is the stuff which i got to a point which i'm happy with and comfortable yeah with now. so i'm putting out it's 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 just a level of confidence you know like uh uh a good word would be empowerment you know you're empowered when with your art if you're uh creatively confident in your ability so you have to put your confidence towards your strengths and then experiment with your weaknesses, but you don't have to share your weaknesses. Yes. I think as well, it's, there's a, it's almost, there's a, what's the way to kind of put it? There's a healthier longevity to doing work that way than doing it the opposite where you, everything you put out, you're saying, this is shit. You know, yeah. I say, like, oh look, yeah. look at my drawing. This is oh, it's, it's, this one's terrible. Like you know, don't yeah. worry. but I'm putting out. <laughs> like, I have to put something out, and yeah. a lot of people do that. You know, they go down that full the full negative, the full nihilist line, and I'm like, okay, well, if you if you continue that for ten years, you're going to feel terrible. <laughs> you might have oh, a huge yeah. following because people might like the attitude, but you're going to feel terrible. <laughs> well, when I first started, I created so much art and I was trying so hard to satisfy people that like, mm-hmm. I used to just archive work. Like, you know, the archive feature on Instagram. Yeah. I used to archive. I'm like, I don't want to show that anymore. It's not my, you know, I changed my style 
Yeah. You know, I hate that word style, <laughs> um, but we'll go back to that. I'll continue on the style train, but I, yeah. um, so I, I was talking to this, he's a younger guy and he's doing comics now. He's just starting and he's really talented. It's really good to start off. He's on the right track, but he archived a bunch of his work. And I found out because when I did the, uh, the Tiki man, draw this in your style, mm-hmm. his piece won. Oh. Uh, um, and he archived it because he said that he, he didn't think it was good. Lo and behold, he actually won. <laughs> it was the one I picked. Um, that that's, you know, your, your ego can sometimes get in the way and can also, you know, hurt you at the same time back to that. But I told him, I was like, you have to embrace the fact that you may not like it, but other people will. Mm-hmm. And, when you get people so back to the analogy that this is your table on the street, people want to see that creative journey and your improvement. People will be proud of you to see like, so if I, I have some art on my Instagram, like if you scroll way down, I know I have a lot of art on there. If you scroll way down, there's some stuff that's like, I hate it's so bad. <laughs> it, it is bad <laughs> quality wise. And it doesn't fit my standard, but I know somewhere a newer artist is going to want to see that journey and hopefully they feel inspired to practice every day and still continue to improve. Yeah. And you have to, you have to be comfortable with like, you can't always show what you're best at either. And you have to embrace the creative journey, Yeah, which is, it's important. There's a happy medium, you know, you can't hide your mistakes all the time and you can't, only show your perfection and you can't always just post everything you make either you know there just needs to be a a happy medium yeah i think as well i think that's it's the it's kind of like a modern phenomenon that as well that that whole idea of kind of seeing the artist's story because like (laughs) like back in the day obviously you would have you'd have gone to the store and you'd have bought a comic you'd bought something and see it and you're like oh cool so this is by such and such this is amazing. You know, they must've done, you know, they, they've gone from straight nothing to doing this every single day. That's insane. How do I yeah. find, how do I figure out you, you just naturally good at this. Whereas now, like you say, we have this historical record of artists, which is forever existing online to some extent. And it is nice to see because it's, it's more open. It's more sincere. And it, it just, it, it creates a better impression for people who want to learn. Yeah. And you know, uh, a lot of, well, I'm going to go back to the style thing now because now it's relevant. <laughs> so the creative journey, style is all part of it. And, you know, a lot of people ask that age-old artistic question, how do I find my art style or how do I draw this blank style? Mm-hmm. One, that just comes with practice. And two, style just comes from your – style is more technique. Style comes from the fundamentals of learning. So I'm going to use Frank Frazetta as an example, because obviously he's my favorite artist. (laughs) So um, I often, you know, that's another good tip is find an artist you really like and study the hell out of them (laughs) to the point to where it feels like you're stalking them. (laughs) Know everything about them. Yeah, know everything about Frank Frazetta. That's my advice. If you want to draw like Pulp Americana, you learn everything there is about Frank Frazetta. (laughs) Just kidding. No, but um, uh, when I I answered someone's question about how do I find my style using Frank Frazetta once, and it was a really good example because 
Frank Frazetta had a very wide spectrum creatively where he had cartoons like Donald Duck style cartoons, but then he also has those ever so loved fantasy paintings with the women and everything, but they're all drawn fundamentally the same because Frazetta knows how to draw that way. That's the way he learned. It was his upbringing. So the lines of action are very simple, but yet there's just a different medium to it. So style just comes from learning and everything you draw will be in your style. It doesn't matter what you draw. There's different mediums. So I guess when people say they want to find their style, they're asking what medium do I want to find? And with that, just come from draw whatever the hell you want. <laughs> like, yeah, I, so, I, I completely agree. Yeah. With that. yeah. I think- it's, it's, no one can tell you how. You just no. have to do it. <laughs> I was I was discussing recently because um, so this this year is um, five years of doing the podcast, and I was looking back at what I've done over the last ten years, kind of getting to this point, mm-hmm. and the different things I've done from back then, like twenty twelve to now, has been there's a huge range in there, and I was saying, well, one of the the kind of key points I felt was to finding where I am now. Cause like you say, you know, once you figure it out, once you figure out what you do, doesn't matter what medium you go to, it's basically the same process. It, someone yeah. can tell that that's you, you know, like I, I've done sculpture and I've done painting and I've done illustration. Someone looks and be like, no, that's something Graham would do. You know, that's, yeah. that's his yeah. style. The, the, um, the character, the colors, the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the general, themes. like the themes is yeah. just that those will all stick with you. It's your yeah. personality. It's your expression. You know, it's was, art. You know, saying, art is expression. The, the kind of the key, the key takeaway from it was like the way I developed was everything I did. I looked at the thing I did and though I might've hated like huge parts of it. I found <laughs> the bit I liked and I just kept that. Yeah. And rolled it back into the next thing I was doing. <laughs> yeah. That, that, and that, that's the key is you take what you like and you apply it to the next one. You, you know, yeah. you can only, you have to isolate the positivity and recognize the negativity and, and constructively, you know, um, not sidetracked. Oh, style. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it just, it comes with time and technique and you just, again, you have to be patient you know a lot of like you know have the key to having a positive mental attitude and creativity is understand that it doesn't happen overnight you won't even know when it happens you know yeah for me uh, i mean obviously everyone recommend uh, remembers their big hit my big hit on instagram was a drawing that i absolutely hate <laughs> it is a haunted house with nothing else <laughs> this is all it's it was for halloween and i got over like almost a thousand likes on it which i'm like why <laughs> but I, I i i can look at that piece i'm like okay the colors are really good yep. the staging is really good it really tells a story so now i can draw something i actually like with that in mind and yep. then i can replicate that success you know but don't draw the same thing over and over again no. because then it just gets stale yeah, but, and you're basically just producing NFTs, and nobody wants to do that. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to produce <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, we'll get back to entrepreneurs. Just don't water down your work for the purpose of profit either, you know? Because then you're just going to hate yourself, and it's going to become a job. Yeah, I love the fact that you you said that you know your most popular piece was one you hated. As it seems to be a constant thing with artists of yeah. the one which makes it big. Doesn't matter who you are. It's just. It's the one you hate. 
Yeah. It's like I said, you can only ever have one masterpiece and yep. you're not going to pick it. You don't get to pick your masterpiece. Shame as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if we got to if we got to pick our masterpieces, that would be wonderful, you know, but hey, that's that's it's not the way it works. I think and uh it's it's just that's why it's important just and post the journey, you know, so people yeah. can be a part of that. And then they pick the one that they like the most. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point to round out. And I was just going to say, I think the one benefit to being like a visual artist is we have the benefit, which musicians don't have that when the one thing which we make, which we hate goes big, we don't have to keep playing it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. You've got fans who have just been like, no, we hate that song. We're never playing it live again or having like causing such controversy. It's like, no, we, we get to post it, sell it, but then we're done with it. <laughs> I mean, if if I was if I was a musician, I just would be like, no, <laughs> on stage. <laughs> but then again, we, we, we have that luxury to where we don't have to make replicate our masterpiece over and over again, you know. But it's it's good to uh learn from your masterpiece and then you can try to create replications in a sense to where you're drawing things you actually want to but trying to bottle your success and you know not trying to formulize it yeah 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 Yeah. instagram really is a formula you know like if you want your art to be seen there is some like key things you can do is like having an established focal point in the piece, which is important with art in general. But Mm -hmm. if you have like the character in the middle, that's what people are going to see. And then they can, you know, people scroll, they just scroll as fast as they can, you know? And so you have to create something that catches the eye. So that's why a lot of my pieces are yellow. I love the color yellow. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) I love the color yellow. (laughs) Um, I'm colorblind. So, uh, using yellow is just (laughs) yellow is just easy you know it's like here you go here's yellow (laughs) i can see this i'm color deficient and i completely avoid color because (laughs) for a long time (laughs) you you can go back and see like a lot of my art used to use so much black like so much so much black but now i've gotten so comfortable with like three color principle I only use three colors to color and I mix them. So I just memorized it. And you, you know, when I say memorizing color, you get it because yeah. you know, you're just like, <laughs> I know that one. I know that one. I know that. One. That's what's cool about digital art too, is you could put color codes in. Yes. The, the, <laughs> the benefit of being able to scroll over a color and be like, what is that? I'm like, Oh, yeah. it's that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure, Even now with the, do you use procreate? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, you, you know, the little, the new update with the color swatches where it tells you what color it is. Yep. Best thing ever. So many Best great tools. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 it, I, like looking at it, like, yeah, the, the whole color deficient boat, American kind American pulp, like it makes sense. Yeah. Like as a, you know, it's, it's, it's three, three color principle, which then you yeah, can, you can expand like, over. Why you're colorblind? How do you color so good? I yeah. literally only use cyan, yellow, and magenta. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. That's, that's, that's actually blown my mind. And then you just but... memorize using <laughs> yellow and blue is green, yellow and magenta is red, and then, uh, yellow, and then red and, or cyan and magenta are purple. It's just like, it's just memorization at that point, you know? 
that's interesting yeah because like, so, <laughs> so when i make paintings people often say it's like oh i love the colors in this painting and i'm so i always say to him it's like well you're definitely seeing something different to what i'm seeing <laughs> yeah and i love that i love the fact that i'm not i'm never going to see what they're going to see because of the amount of blending and stuff which i'm just not capable of it's all accidental but you're having a connection with it so that works <laughs> funny story it's funny you're saying that because i have a funny story for that Go on. <laughs> and you're gonna get a good laugh so i used to, my first ever character i created his name was red rogers blonde mustached cowboy and a blue jumpsuit he was like a space futuristic cowboy right the story itself was really complex and i later abandoned it because it just like i took the elements from that story and applied it to other things Mm -hmm. but he used to wear this what i thought was a red jacket (laughs) for like mind you the good part of two years and so and i was having a conversation with someone who was asking to draw him i was like oh his jacket's red they're like no it's orange i'm like are you sure <laughs> i've been drawing that same color for two years how dare you question that <laughs> <laughs> my whole life even my own characters is a lie <laughs> you you get you get so used to the amount of um clothing i've owned and been like, oh, like things in my house. And I've been like, yeah, just grab the blue one. And they're like, what? what? It's like, oh, <laughs> there's grab no the black blue one. one it's like, there's no, you, you mean the dark green one? I'm like, no, it's the black one. <laughs> like, it's, it's over there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's interesting. There, there's a lot of really talented colorblind artists. Uh, there is. You know, the high road design is colorblind as well on yeah. Instagram. It's surprising. So it doesn't color. matter. Yeah. You know, it does, it does not matter. You don't even need a color if you don't want to. No, you definitely don't. Make those really cool black and white indie comics. That's the way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Abandoned colors. Just just go black and white. Look, look, kind of edgy. A lot of people are like, what colors do I need to do to make vintage comics? I'm like, it doesn't really matter. I can literally cite like eight books that only use the color red or green. (laughs) Yeah. Or I can, you know, the Savage Conan comics which are amazing just straight black and white it doesn't matter you know the hell writer that was essentially why i learned to crosshatch and learned to shade was just because i didn't want to have to use color and so i was (laughs) finding ways around it yeah that's that's why i got into it and then retro supply came out with color lab and the three color principle i'm like you know this is a good challenge for me i'm gonna come out of my shell boom (laughs) <laughs> came out your shell found your niche found yeah. your style that, comfort that's how there you, there you go that's how you find your style you draw what you like and then you practice the, sh- the crap out of it and then you uh, I'm trying so hard not to swear out here because you know, I don't know the rules you can swear. I didn't ask I already oh, did okay. <laughs> well, you just draw the shit out of it and there then you uh, and then you grow you know and that's that's the thing because soup you know, but now thanks thanks to me not knowing you, this this episode's gonna get not de- demonetized for you because you know I would have been swearing I mean, a lot. <laughs> that's, the, that's the beauty of this podcast is that I don't monetize it. Oh, okay. So uh, it, was, it. <laughs> it was one of my key principles when I set up. Was like I want it to be conversation. I want to meet people like yourself, and you know it should be free. It should be just like yeah. without adverts. So yeah, that's good. People can meet us and they can come buy our stuff if they want to. You, you should get some really like off the wall sponsors that would be really funny though <laughs> like uh 
like what would be a really funny one not like raid shadow legends you know like just like (laughs) i'd want to be sponsored by like ted's hardware store in like east connecticut or something just like some complete (laughs) random off the wall you know, if you use the coupon code yelling at concrete, you could get a free screwdriver. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the kind of sponsors I want. I don't want anything like big or like what's what's the other one? Like Mind or Calm or any of those apps. Just like no, we want, you know, wholesome brick and mortar stores. That's, that's who we want to support. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it all. I think that's a good point to round this out. Yeah. After we've promoted Ted's. Just for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and good. remember, use the code TED Talk at Ted's hardware store. Just to uh, jump in on the TED Talk action as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been lovely. No, to if catch we're, we're going to close out, just you know, keep it positive. You know, follow both me and Graham on Instagram, or we'll find you. <laughs> threatening. <laughs> follow us. Yes. Or we'll find you. We, yes. We will come for you. <laughs> We'll slide in. We'll, we'll be there in the DMs. Just like, oh, hey, you know. Yeah. Notice that you didn't follow us after we posted that podcast. Now we're going to have to have a positive conversation where we talk about work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get dragged in. Obviously, check out and the on Pulp Americana. That's your Instagram, I believe. Yeah. Pulp yep. Underscore At Pulp Americana. underscore Americana. And go find all his cool work there. Uh, do you, I mean, you mentioned uh, your, the work you're coming. Have you got anything coming out this year? Yeah, uh, so Rodeo and the Devils of Guitar is almost done. I'm also working on the ever-so-awaited, the one that actually people want, is Sonic Saturn. Mm-hmm. Is just about finished writing. I'm going to... Uh, I've illustrated a couple pages already, but it, that's a very big project. So hopefully that'll be out for the summer or oh, in nice. the winter. It, it might be one of the other. this comes out then. Yeah. Potentially. And uh, let's see... Uh, Tiki Man as well is also in the works. So, nice. if you like Tiki and surfing stuff, that one's the one for you. Who doesn't like <laughs> tiki and surfing stuff, you know. Yeah, makes you feel warm when you're in the chili. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's been cool, man. It's been cool to catch up with you. Yeah, man. Uh, we gotta do this again. <laughs> yeah. On that note, All we right. will talk to these guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.